This is an ABC podcast. Machuanga Ganamana, Naiwangani, Mani Nabutni, Ganiatana, Alberto Makalakla, Tandanya Menico, Nature Yungandaya, Nature Yakandaya, Padni Adi Wadi. So, on behalf of the Ghana people, I welcome you to Ghana country. I do this ambassador of the Adelaide Plains people. My brothers, my sisters, let's walk together in harmony. Let's have a great day. Okay? See you. That's Uncle Rod O'Brien, and we have arrived on Ghana Country. That's where you'll be walking with me over the next two episodes of Science Friction. Natasha Mitchell with rare access for you to an experience that I reckon the nearly 40 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander teens here won't easily forget. So pack your suitcase. I'm taking you on camp, science camp. But this will also be a cultural odyssey too for these students. Uplifting, sometimes confronting, maybe at times for you too. So the students have arrived and they're getting to know each other. Um, I'm Amber. I'm from Caboolture, Queensland. Coming all the way from Queensland, not knowing anyone down here, coming down here all by myself, I was a little bit like nervous, anxious about what was going to happen. If I was going to like make friends because I'm a little bit shy. But eventually, I met Caitlin now. Yay! <laughs> Hello, I'm Caitlin. I'm from Leeton, New South Wales. It was really awkward at first meeting new people, so being part of a big crowd is really scary. So I'm Tiani Adamson. I'm a student at the University of Adelaide studying a Bachelor of Science in Wildlife Conservation Biology. Tiani attended this camp 10 years ago as a Year 10 student herself and it triggered this enormous event in her life afterwards, which you'll hear about next week. But as a mentor here, she's living in with this bunch of smart 15-year-olds who all applied from right across Australia to be here, Arnhem Land to Adelaide, Caboolture to Coffs Harbour. And for some of them, this is going to be the first time they're surrounded by this many other Indigenous people their own age. Some don't have much knowledge about their Indigenous heritage, in fact. How would you describe what feelings students have when they first arrive at this camp? Yeah, definitely uh, nervous, a bit unsure of what to expect. A lot of them are feeling a little bit vulnerable, especially vulnerable in their cultural identity. I love it. I love my culture so much. Like, I know there's a lot, a lot that I need to learn. I'm Katie Nugent, or Catherine Nugent. I'm from Queensland. And just the feeling, like... When I'm on land and when I'm with people who have a real close connection to their land, I just feel something inside. Like, it's pride. It's like a really warm, like, feeling like I belong kind of thing. And I want that connection. I don't know how to describe the feeling. Like, it's something in my stomach. It's a good feeling. I know that for certain. But it makes me eager to learn about my own culture and, like, where I'm from too. Well, I can imagine that many of the students that you're working with don't necessarily feel a strong connection to culture yet. Like that's a really powerful, emotional, provocative question. You know, a lot of us do know that we've lost our uh, massive parts of our culture. Ghana elder Rosemary Wanganeen is here to support the students through the next nine days in her role as a cultural leader. I'm born 55, so I'm 63, and I can't speak language. I was born into 
policies that was about assimilating and being raised on missions and reserves where you were contained and controlled to be manipulated psychologically to deny your Aboriginality and your cultural beliefs, concepts, understandings and practices. Today, Rosemary runs her own company, which she calls the Australian Institute for Loss and Grief, developing a model for healing based on her own experiences of being dislocated from her culture. I can't go and do women's business, I can't do ceremonies, I can't practice sorry business in a traditional way. So it goes back to what do we mean as Aboriginal people? What do we mean by culture? Because pre-1788, that's traditional culture, very powerful, structured ways of, of living and being for thousands of years. Post-1788, you know, genocide was a part of all of that. So, so what I didn't learn, I can't teach my children. My children can't teach my grandchildren. In this program here with these kids, they're my grandkids' generation that know even less than me. Yeah, we've got a responsibility to these young ones to, I think, talk about what do we mean by culture? Because we're living in a very, very contemporary setting now. And that's what makes this Aboriginal Summer School for Excellence in Technology and Science, run by the CSIRO, unique. This intimate blending of culture with science, Indigenous science too, two-way learning. Aboriginal people in Australia have been practising science and a scientific method for 60,000, 80,000, 100,000 since the first sun came up. We have been practising the scientific method through medicine, through nutrition, through architecture, through agriculture, through physics, through astrophysics, and it really is quite accurate when people describe us as the first scientists. It's what we were doing. Now, it may not have been the language of Western science that we're so used to hearing about now, but it's undeniable that it was science and practising the scientific method. The first Australians, they were also the first scientists in this place. This is Seth Westhead, he's a regular mentor at these camps. I have family connections to the Awabakal and Wiradjuri nations of New South Wales. I uh, was born in Bathurst in New South Wales, the home of Mount Panorama. Grew up on the mighty Murray in a small town called Muldura in Victoria and have been living in beautiful Ghana country in Adelaide for the last seven years. Seth moved away from his community to come to uni here and he's now a young scientist at the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute. When we look at what science is at its core, it's making an observation, it's having a question and it's in enacting a methodology to best answer that question. And that comes through a process of trial and error maintaining an inquisitive and curious mind and it comes from maintaining records of the trials that we go through and this is something that Aboriginal people have practiced for time, all of time. What's going on here? I'm getting painted. Who by? Um, what's your name sweetie? Kimmel. How old are you? Six. Six? How old are you? 
Lip bandit. <laughs> what are you painting on me? I'm sitting here with Casey Thompson. She's from Queensland and we are flanked by these two little girls dressed in black with bright yellow headbands and painted faces and they've taken the paintbrush to our own skin too. Do you guys like painting? Some of us are doing dances. We've been painted up in traditional paints and yeah, we're doing some traditional dances and just going to get a chance to speak to elders and other Indigenous people um, from this community. <laughs> Do you like being around family all the time? On this second night, a big crowd of guests have gathered around the fire pit to roast kangaroo tails. We're on the gum tree grounds of Wiltshire Boarding Residence here in suburban Adelaide where I'm staying this week with the students. During the school year, Wiltshire is a really interesting place. It's home to Ananul kids who need to travel down from remote traditional APY lands to go to high school. APY, that's Ananul, Pichinjara, Yankanjara. Tonight, a group of Ananul elders from Ernabella are here, which is a 15-hour drive away near the South Australian Northern Territory border. These women have to live in Adelaide now to get access to dialysis treatment. It's hard being away from country and unwell, so they come together regularly to sing these gorgeous hymns in their language, old songs. There are tears in the eyes of some of the summer school students watching on. It was overwhelming, but really inspiring. Like, how, I don't know, close they were, and, like, seeing the cultural dances, it amazes me. How about you? I got goosebumps. It was so beautiful. Um, the way that they, the way that they came together to sing all of the beautiful songs, and how they've got such a close connection to their to their culture, and they're all they're all a, bi a big family. It's really beautiful to see them all come together like that. And I mean, Wiltshire, the boarding school that we've been staying at, is an amazing example of you know Anangu people from APY lands seeing education as important in being able to educate their mob both to be culturally strong and strong in their sense of identity and having Western education and bring that together to create this incredibly powerful marriage of the two so that their mob can go forward and do whatever they choose to do. This camp will be a beginning for some of these students of new exploration into their own Indigenous heritage. But let's not forget there's science on the menu here too and Catherine, for one, she loves her science. I can't just sit still. That's partly why I love science so much because it's not a sit still sort of thing. Like, yeah, you're sitting in a classroom, like, physically, but mentally you're, like, jumping through hoops and it's amazing. <laughs> you're going on wild cosmic adventures all over the place yeah. in your mind, I guess. Yeah. What are you thinking the next two years might bring for you? I don't really know, but I keep the most open mind, especially when it comes to my STEM subjects because I'm super involved in my math and science. I just... I gobble it up any chance I can get. I love asking questions and learning. I've always been driven to learn, 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 like discovering what our words about because I always ask questions like I don't understand 
our earth and I find it so fascinating like the way people work, the way animals work, the ecosystem. I'm Courtney. Um, I'm from the Central Coast in New South Wales. It's north of Sydney. You feel okay giving up two weeks of your holidays? <laughs> I don't mind doing that. <laughs> it's a great opportunity for my future, like for the rest of my life. What's made you curious about the idea of science? Just about life, basically, just where where it starts. Like, like all questions about life. Like, just I don't like I can't I can't explain it, but it's just to wonder where it all began and how it all ends. But yes, there everything. Yeah, I reckon that's probably the best answer I've ever. <laughs> <laughs> where it all began and where it will all end. In Indigenous Belief, that's with the Dreamtime and that's inspired another mentor on this camp, Gamilaroi Gambanga Noorable man, Christian Maskey, a mathematics student and a musician at Adelaide University. Can you see how this might be sort of a little bit like a fractal? It's Saturday night and instead of chilling out in front of the TV, I've joined the students in a workshop led by Christian on the mathematics of the dream time. Maybe, maybe the dream time or maybe time or the dream time or both together could maybe not be a straight line, but maybe what do you think it could be? It could be a tree, that's right, a tree. What if it goes up like this and then it branches off? What does this kind of look like? There's other things that's branched that's in nature too. Nerves. 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 Nerves and veins, that's right. My head's like spinning, like, I don't know, it's like mind-blowing. When I first heard of it, I thought it was pretty whack. I was like, how is dream time going to like incorporate with maths? Like, how are you going to do it? I was really kind of confused but intrigued to see how it was done. And a lot of Eastern cultures and also in Indigenous culture, Sometimes we think of things that are rather circular rather than being something like a line or even branched like that. So the structure of the dream time might be even different. Because I have a deep interest in maths and I was thinking how can I connect culture and maths together? Almost giving a mathematical form to the dream time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but also seeing because the, how we connect to the dream time and each other is through this idea of kinship. So we can connect to the land and the animals and everything like that. So what I sort of have formulated sort of like a mathematical way to sort of see how we uh, connect to others and how we relate to others and the combinations of those things. As a concept, when I think about the dream time, I more think of like art. I think of it as like a spiritual thing and I don't usually associate those sort of things with like maths and like actual facts. Like and when he first mentioned it to me, I thought of like the fourth dimension, which is like time or space. And I tried to like make connections with that, but yeah, it's a pretty difficult concept, I guess. Now we think that your mother might be here, mother. Is there a way of developing a mathematical interpretation of Indigenous kinship systems, which are very complex systems, aren't they? Not, not something that one conversation can describe. Not one conversation and, and not one type of mathematics either. 
Yeah, so traditional family structures kind of look like a, you've kind of got your family tree. So you had your mother and your father and then you have your children and then your grandchildren and it'll sort of look like a tree trunk, then some branches, some little twigs. With kinship, you don't have to necessarily be related by blood, but that's why maybe we might call some people uncles or aunties, they're elders in a group and we look to them and also our sisters and brothers may not be actually blood related but there might be someone of our own clan, our own peoples or maybe not even so but we're connected through that kinship and there are other things involved too like a thing called Yichida and Dua which is like light and dark so we have light and dark skin names and that changes with generations too to give balance to both light and dark. So your daughter is also a great-grandmother I thought it was extremely interesting, like considering the dream time is intangible and more like a spiritual thing, it like runs through you, but it's like invisible, kind of like the air, like it runs through you, but you can't really see it that well, but you know it's there all the time. He was talking about light and dark being zero in one, and I was like just thinking like... <laughs> well, that's like a binary system, that's how computers run, isn't it? Yeah, I just kept thinking about those numbers, zero and one, and I kind of made like this little table and like negative one is the past that's the future and zero is the present so yeah but I mean anyone can draw something and just say like oh this is what this means this is what this means and it makes sense so I mean and I don't think there's any one right answer and we don't even know if there is an answer science can become very logical Summer school mentor Tiani is on the cusp of finishing her science degree and she's a vegan, dog lover, adventurous spirit full of warmth and humour that the students really respond to. Which is the part of science that I struggle with because getting rid of that emotional side of yourself or that connectedness and seeing things very literally as they are, as fact, with no emotion attached is not how I roll, which I think you're aware of, Natasha. <laughs> um, yeah, but, and that, I think that's also a problem for our mob as well is, you know, they have very strong connections to the land, to the water, to one another, to their spiritual self and their, you know, spiritual guidance and all those sorts of things to their ancestry. And when science becomes very literal and, gets rid of that sense of self it really strips creativity and those really important parts of our culture mm. so I think as science itself also begins to evolve that will really change as well so we need more people to come forward and be a part of that journey like you yes <laughs> I mean, a lot of those records of Aboriginal science and scientific feats have been lost, unfortunately. And what's interesting is that those weren't recorded in a lab book. They're not sitting on dusty old shelves in journals. Absolutely not. They were markers of the land. They were things that existed in a holistic way with people, people's roles within their own societies, within their own nations, and within a cyclic nature of life. These things weren't scientific endeavours for the sake of it. These were scientific endeavours for survival.
that's not to say that Western science today does not have its place. And I think that's where the summer school marries these two things really, really well. It's this concept of two-way knowing. It's this concept of cross-cultural knowledge translation that occurs through understanding the origins of Aboriginal cultural science with the current language and tools available through Western science. And when we bring those two things together, something really beautiful happens. And that's where we get an understanding of the past that allows us to make new discoveries into the future. And to test that out, we're making fire in the name of science. So we're going to have a, a crack at this one, okay? Hey Matthew, what are you doing this morning? We are about to uh, do some inquiries based on fire starting methods. What we're testing is uh, which method between a fire drill method and a fire saw method, which one takes less time to produce smoke. Hey Brianna, what's your role? I am the facilitator, so I collect the data and stuff like that. Do you have a, uh, an, a hypothesis about which might be quicker? My hypothesis is that the, the fire saw will be more effective in creating smoke because it involves more friction than the drill. Because we won't be able to do it. <laughs> what we wanted to really develop that understanding for our students was around scientific inquiry skills and the processes that what we utilise as scientists in the field. How to be a scientist. Yeah, exactly, how to be a scientist. And to also open their eyes to realise that being a scientist doesn't mean that you're only wearing the lab coat within a lab. Um, it's innate, it's in our DNA. The natural um, at science. Put your hands on your head, put your glasses on your face. Put your glasses on your face and put on your hands. What do you need help with? Everything. Okay, so it's tell me where you're up to. My name's Torres Webb. I'm a coordinator of a national program called the Enquiry for Indigenous Science Students Program. Designed and developed to support teaching and education staff with embedding our ancient Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander knowledges, histories and cultures within the science uh, STEM and schooling curriculum. So, what do you need, might need to do it again? I hail from uh, far north Queensland, uh, my traditional homeland linked to the Torres Strait in the far east, uh, Erub Darnley Island. It's at the start of the Great Barrier Reef and I was fortunate enough um, to have grown up in Funnel Queens and the Torres Strait and north of Port Douglas and Mossman and with the chance to really sit, listen and learn from many elders and be immersed in the natural environment uh, which really um, instilled and activated a real sense of um, wanting to protect and preserve and share um, knowledge and culture. It only worked once. 
Ah, so that's there you go. Is that a reliable set of data? Well, for the hand drill, the one we didn't really have success with as much, um, it took us three minutes to get some smoke. And then with the fire saw, so much easier as we got it in 10.2 seconds. So it was pretty good and we're very successful and we're happy. We've done the whole six trials and we got smoke in all of them. Nice one. Let's go back. We're going to now um, go through the an analyzing all of our data. We've seen a marked improvement in student achievement and engagement, not only for Indigenous students, but non-Indigenous students, because it's hands-on, it's fun, it's exciting, it's linked to a local community context where we can connect the school and the community together. We know it takes a village to raise our children. And I guess the key is to not do this in a tokenistic way or a patronising way, because that can happen in classrooms. You know, there's a little bit of a nod to a bark canoe. Yeah, definitely. That's so why it was really important with the work that we've been doing. It's around providing that professional development or educational staff to, to deliver this um, really genuinely and authentically. But the key to it is around contextualising it to your local community and really making those connections and bonds with the people and the local traditional owners who can support you. As a, as a young man growing up in Inverell in northern New South Wales, my father actually just questioned me on a lot of things and just sort of introduced me to a lot of things. So he'd say, hey Christian, we've got a rock here. What kind of rock is it? It's got these kind of formations and structures on it. Can you tell me what it is? Or it's like, if we've got a plant here, can you tell me what plant this is? It's got this type of leaf. It's got this kind of little vein structure on it. Can you tell me what it is? Or we'd go out and we'd have witchetty grubs. We'd dig them out of the roots, let them rest, and then barbecue them later. Yeah, my curiosity for maths comes from my father. So he's an Indigenous man and he was imparting to you culture but also curiosity about nature, it sounds. Yeah, he definitely did both of those things. And at, at the time growing up, I wasn't interested in doing that, but it's kind of somehow stuck with me. And now that he's passed, I feel like it's really, really important that I connect to that as much as I can and by doing these camps too I'm also learning if we're not connected to our culture and each other in the land we might feel torn or confused or not settled and if you feel centered and resolved you're definitely more focused and you can push for your goals a lot quicker and in the direction that you want to and in a respectful way to others as well. One of the things that I grew up with firsthand was being told that um, Aboriginal people were less than. I grew up with Aboriginal people aren't really human. There are academics, there are archaeologists, there are scientists who used to measure Aboriginal people's head and, and made a determination amongst a whole range of other things that um, we weren't quite human and so I grew up knowing that that's how they used to think about us and so in some families that belief has been passed across and down the generations in some Aboriginal families so sort of like we grew up with so watch out for them whitefellas that fear is not so much physical danger but more mental and emotional and spiritual abuse. And um, as an 
uh, been victimised through racially motivated comments or behaviours. You know, what if it happens? And that's in my work as a, as a griefologist, that, that first part of a sentence, you know, what if it happens? And so that, that can be really powerful. That can then be a barrier to not just accessing, but also staying and completing the degree. And you really won't want to miss the next episode. Leap into the podcast now. It's up already. Really potent, personal and uh, triumphant stories of learning, lost and found, including from Rosemary. On Science Friction, this is part of the ABC's Walking Together. 20 years it is since the reconciliation walk across the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And we are inviting you to continue that walk in all sorts of ways right across the ABC. I wasn't really connected with my culture until this camp, hearing all of the stories and knowing that um, being basically like a white Aboriginal, I can, I'm still, I can still be connected with my culture like everyone else. so that I could understand a little bit more of science and get a little bit more of my um, understanding of what the future has to hold for me and also to get in touch with my culture a little bit to just feel how, how it feels to be connected with your culture a little bit more closely. You can talk to me on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. The hashtag is hash walking together and the website abc.net.au slash walking together. My thanks to all the students, staff and the team at CSIRO. ABC. 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 Walking together. Walk with us. Together. On the journey to reconciliation. On a and online at abc.net.au slash walking together. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.